Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. We are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and are delighted to welcome you to today's episode. Each week, we showcase vital women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who continue to shatter the myths that we become invisible as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest focuses on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. And today, we're delighted to welcome Dr. Susan Stahl, age 72, who describes herself as an applied community sociologist using collaborative learning relationships to organize and foster effective social action. For example, during her 22 years at Northeastern Illinois University, Susan leveraged her roles as professor and then chair of sociology, women's studies, and African-American and Latino studies to develop partnerships with community-based organizations Her experiential learning approach helped advance students' learning outcomes essential for responsible citizenship. In her current role as president of Arbor West Neighbors, a nonprofit organization that empowers older people in Oak Park, Illinois, and surrounding communities, Susan brings her advocacy talents to Arbor West Neighbors to champion an asset-based approach to issues such as housing and community building. We also will hear about Susan's commitment to fostering intergenerational conversations and to transforming the image of aging, especially for aging women. Susan, welcome to Women Over 70. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So let's start by having you give us a a glimpse into how you became an applied community sociologist. Okay. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Yes. yes. I studied sociology as an undergraduate many years ago, and I loved it. Um, and But then I took a job as an inner city teacher. And one of the things that happened to me during that eight years that I worked in an, an inner city bilingual school was um, I had the opportunity to work with our teachers union in um, Los Angeles. Um, and I got to work with a an organized group that was uh, trying to hold the teachers union to the fire because they had got rather lazy or um, they were intransitive. Um, And they were great role models for me about how you begin to do community change. We, We were working on getting bilingual education in every place it was needed. Um, We were also working on desegregation. Um, And I just had great role models there. And at the same time, I started my master's in sociology at UCLA. And I did my research on um, uh, parents and how parents can empower themselves and change local schools. So that was my first kind of dip into but first applying my what I'd learned as an undergraduate and then moving more towards um, research and action. How did you get to uh, Northeastern Illinois University? Um, well, I, I went to Northeastern via Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
which sounds like a the wrong way to move, right? Um, mm -hmm. But we, my husband is a is a uh, academic also, and he had his first teaching position there. He's an urban planner, and I had the opportunity there to both get my PhD in sociology and gender studies and to um, begin to do activism around women's issues. Um, Iowa State University had some really wonderful uh, women's programs and a great women's center. And I taught my first women's studies classes there um, and never expected actually to be an academic. I thought I will um, probably be an executive director of a, of a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. But when I went to, um, as I went through my program at Iowa State, my mentor, who was a who who he was he was a feminist, and uh, he asked me if I wanted to do a small town study of women in Iowa. He was going to interview the men in this town, and I would interview the key women. And that again was another life changing experience for me because I was rather um, urban centric. I mean, I think I was kind of not expecting women to be as vital as as they of course were. Um, and I, my, my thesis out of that was that without the women in this community, there would be no community. Um, be, because if you're looking for a, a sense of, of efficacy, a sense of solidarity, um, that comes through behind the scenes kind of organized efforts um, that they didn't, did for decades and decades and decades. Um, so I, in a way, I kind of got put in my place in a good way, like um, learned. I was young then. I was in my early 30s, and I was interviewing women at everywhere from, from 25 to 90. So um, I, it was it was really wonderful uh, experience, and I brought that experience to Chicago when I moved there three years later. And, and Susan, what, what, what year were you or years were you at Iowa, in Iowa and teaching women's Studies. Uh, studies or women's yeah. issues. Um, we moved to Iowa in 1979, and um, I was there. Yeah, I through 1982. So it wasn't a long period of time, but I always one of the uh, things that it says when you come into Iowa on their on their signs it says Iowa, a place to grow. Um, it really was for me. It offered so many opportunities that I have to kind of battle to have in in Los Angeles because it's it's kind of competitive um, so that was that was and then by, when I came to Chicago uh, it was 1982 okay so it sounds it certainly sounds like your work in the inner city school and the community change work and then your your time in Iowa um, were some really pivotal moments for you not moments but times for you and so do do you have a, did you form a philosophy or a, a set of guiding principles for the cutting edge work that you were doing and, and you're still doing? I think for me, um, I don't know if it's a philosophy, well, it's probably a, a brief philosophy. What really happened for me, and it stayed that way, and we'll get into that later, but I really, for me, I was, I, what I realized I most care about is um, the invisible actions that are taking place in, I look at communities that are transformative, um, that people wouldn't know about. And I can tell you examples about that in yeah. my, my later Please. research. Mm -hmm. um, Please, go ahead. Okay. Well, 
when I um, came to Chicago, I, I didn't, I was supposed to be writing my dissertation, which is a very lonely, lonely path. <laughs> very, very lonely. And I didn't know anybody except my husband. Um, and I, so I, what I did is I started um, working in the women's studies program at UIC, just teaching some courses. And one of the things that happened also is I was working with a, an organization called Women United for a Better Chicago. And we got some grants to do, um, to, to look at, I suggested we look at housing, um, housing as an issue that women face. Every, every low income or middle income woman who's single faces. So over a two year period, I organized two local, but they were also nationally known conferences on women in safe shelter and then women in public housing. Um, and at the same time, I taught two courses that I taught a course that I developed called Gender in the Built Environment, um, which was really looking at a new literature in women's studies that brought together um, sociology, psychology, environmental psychology, geography, anthropology, and all of these various women were, were, were working in the area of not only housing, but, the, but what's around it, and what is that, what's the gender face of that? But, but to get back to your original question, I would say it's it, what really became, and I still care about this, is, is grassroots organizing. What happens at, at the local level? Um, and um, in doing that, that was kind of something that I increasingly got into at Northeastern in the, way, the courses I chose to teach. Um, to courses that brought the students into the local community. Now we were located on the edge of Albany Park, which is one of, next to Rogers Park, is the most diverse community in Chicago and has a great history um, immigration wise. So we did, I, had, I did a lot of placing students in service learning, in internship opportunities, and so creating that bridge. Um, I also had the opportunity um, because of the work I did in housing, to begin to um, think about with 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 my friend who was a who was an academic at UIC, to think about looking at this one particular housing development, Wentworth Gardens, which is right near the ballpark um, in the South Side, because I had met some of the women during the conference, and they looked like they were just a a bundle of energy. Um, they had created their own laundromat, their own um, preschool, um, their own grocery store, right right on site. And again, this was invisible. <laughs> no one knew that this existed. They knew that the, the development existed. They didn't know what they had done. And um, we spent five to seven years there um, interviewing people, observing, um, I helped form uh, a community advisory board. Um, we did a lot of, um, we, a video was produced about their work. We did a lot of, gave a lot of opportunities um, for us to have panels at various places, residents and one of us. Um, so it was kind of a win-win situation and out of that came a book called The Dignity of Resistance. Um, and that was turned into a play uh, a local, locally. Um, and I don't know, I, I, I feel that 
I, I, the one who, who was the winner in these, in these endeavors, um, because it would energize me. Um, it would make me smile. <laughs> um, there were certainly challenges, but, uh, what, what I realized is that, you know, how sometimes with national politics, you get, national politics, you get very, very discouraged, um, that I, since I was always doing this community work and seeing successes, um, which some people might dismiss, I guess, that would, I wouldn't have, I, I never got that kind of cynicism or that sense of hopelessness um, that some people develop. I'm wondering, Susan, if part of that is uh, um, that you seem to, you know, use this uh, asset-based approach so that you're working to with and and uh, with the strengths of of the community can you can you tell our listeners what asset based approach is okay asset based community development um came out of the work of john mcknight at northwestern illinois university and, and northwestern university i'm sorry and um he worked with other people, people came to his center, and one of my friends worked worked with him. Um, and he would one of the an example is um, she her job, Kathy's job, was to work with people who have intellectual disabilities who are living in group homes. And she, uh, John John's issue was they they were in group homes, but no one knew them in the community. You know, they were just segregated. And they had assets to bring, asset-based community development. So how could those asset be, assets be used? So my friend's job, Kathy's job, was to, like that's how I met her in Logan Square where I lived, was to find, um, like we had a group home actually in one of the floors of our apartment building. I didn't even know it. So she introduced me to someone. And then I would pair with him, I forget his name, and I would find a place for him like, what did, what did he like? Did he like animals? Could he work in the local pet store? Um, maybe not get paid, but be there? Could he, uh, does he like books? Could he volunteer at the local library? Um, and get people into the community that, that aren't seen is an example. Um, mm -hmm. And um, presently, uh, I'm using that example with, with older people. So tell us about that. Okay. Um, when I retired uh, in 2012, um, I did some consulting for a few years on um, community development. Um, and then in 2016, I learned through a friend, actually someone I sing with in a choir, um, Unity Temple, I learned that um, there was an organization uh, that had just started uh, called Arbor West Neighbors. And the arbor is the trees and Oak Park, and we are west. But it wasn't just um, Oak Park, Oak Park, River Forest, uh, Forest Park, and Austin. Um, and they were they were a little they wanted to they wanted to do something to empower older adults, but they didn't quite know what that would be. Um, so I went to a few meetings and I said, "Have you guys heard of asset-based community development?" and they said no. Um, why don't you tell us about it? We're we're kind of trying to figure out what is our what what steps should we take? Where sh where should we be going? Because one of the ways that 
a lot of older people organizations go uh, at local levels is services. And that's kind of a one-way street where you provide the service, they get the service, be it transportation or whatever. Um, and that's not actually empowering that, that older that older person, that individual that's receiving the service, they, you know, they maybe get a ride somewhere, but what are they bringing back? So from the mm -hmm. very beginning, as people signed up to be members, they wanted to be members, they had a little survey, or sh a short questionnaire that, that captured um, what kinds of things do you like doing? Could you share? In other words, what are you bringing to the table? You know, and and how how might we engage? How might you become engaged? And engagement is a big important word in our organization. Um, engage not only socially, so you're not isolated, but engage in acts of advocacy. Um, and what? How can older people really not be invisible and and not just age and in silos with everybody the same age as them? Um, how do they stay um, in the community in ways that that it breaks stereotypes about older people? Oh my God, I didn't know older people could do that, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And so that's, we've, I mean, we've done a lot of things in the, in the last, um, well, I've been involved four and a half years. Um, and I think that because we, are pretty visible. I mean, letters to the editor. Um, are we held a candidate forum when when our board of trustees um, ran for office a year ago, last January, February, um, and no one had done a forum on aging. And we we asked for a discussion with the candidates. There were ten of them. Um, a public. We had about sixty people come to have a discussion about, we had different people that we had assigned ahead of time, I think three various topics, and talked about what what was actually needed from elected officials in, officials in, in different areas. And it was, and then it turned into a discussion, you know, where they asked us questions that, and the audience, et cetera. Um, that was the first time that had ever happened. Um, the other thing we did, um, a few years ago is we had this very successful forum on uh, creative options for housing. So we brought people who had developed cooperative housing, um, uh, shared housing, uh, accessory dwelling units, co-housing. And out of that, we have now a co-housing initiative. We can talk more about that later if you want, and a shared housing initiative. Um, and these are things that most people who came and public officials came to didn't know about. So they were really interested. Um, we had about 80 people come to that. Um, and then we had, you know, round tables and group discussions. But um, that, the results of things that are, you know, things like that in a community where um, people are paying attention quite a bit, our local, our local papers quite a good mouthpiece for what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think they make a difference. Wow. And and Susan, I'm so interested in the work that you're doing. You you talk about intergenerational conversations. Mm -hmm. 
can you can you discuss that a little further how how do you see that happening and and what are some of the ways that you you make sure it happens okay um i was just listening to a webinar before before uh i i talked to you both on social isolation and they were really stressing um uh the importance of breaking down this uh divide between younger and older people um We've done it in some simple ways, and then I'll talk about what, something that's on my table right now that I'm working on. Um, we've done some workshops on uh, technology, technology development, where we have um, high school students work with older people, mm -hmm. and uh, what the younger people get out of it um, is, well, they get service hour credit, but they also say they really have a good time, and I think they feel very empowered themselves because th these these are skills that aren't any big deal to them but they are a big deal to us um so that's one thing we have done um we have a group at the high school called what do they call dudes for doing good or something they're uh, a club i guess and they've been doing um some snow shoveling for um some of the people that live alone that don't have anyone to, to shovel their snow and they again um i don't know they acted like it was they got service hours but they acted like they were having a really good time because they they do it in pairs but most recently um and this will go out on friday i'm i'm putting together a grant with the help of other people on talking talking across um the generations about racial injustice and this is we feel very timely um because of both the isolation of the covid but because of what's gone on since um george uh, lloyd and floyd i'm sorry and um and just the fact that there's been all these protests everywhere and uh we've had about five of them here in in the oak park river forest area but you don't see people my age and older at the protests because of the covid um mm -hmm. we've had a lot of people i mean oak park has planned integration so there's a lot of people who have a very strong civic consciousness but and who probably many of them worked in the civil rights movement but they haven't had the conversation unless maybe in their own families um, across the generations um and so i'm writing a grant um to orchestrate that and to have a, a short film made about what happens when we do this um and what are the kinds of issues are well, we're going to come with questions and facilitators but what are, what are the kinds of issues that are going to come out of this and how can what we learn um move us forward um together you know, so we're not again going back to the older people over here, the younger people over there. Um, and I'm excited about it because I got to be part of one of these two weeks ago. It had 100 people um, in, a, in a Zoom call. Uh, we were prepared. I, I, had, I had signed up to be a facilitator. I was so impressed with this young woman who organized it. I couldn't wait to be part of it. Mm -hmm. um, it was about two hours long. Um, they had several speakers talking about their experience um they were the speakers were african-american talking about their experience in 
both in discrimination, but also in the civil rights movement. Um, and then they broke us up into small groups and we facilitators asked the questions. Um, but the, the, the cross-generational, cross-race dialogue that we had in our small group, and I'm sure it was true in the other groups, was, was so amazingly vital. And people were just so honest um, and vulnerable, I felt. So I was very moved by it. Um, so I'm looking forward to, be, I hope, being able to, we can do this without funding, but it'd be really wonderful because the video would be something, the short video that we can show, uh, we can pass on to people with a study guide and get these going all over um, the area, get these small, you know, interchanges going. So that's what I'm working on most recently. And, and the grant want calls for they want um, initiatives that are um, you know helping facilitate intergenerational relationships they also care a lot about civic engagement so mm -hmm. I'm hoping this will happen I hope so too yes. uh, it certainly capitalizes on your long history of engagement with big social issues Sounds like you have a lot of energy and you're going to keep going, but what, what keeps you going? What keeps you so engaged? Uh, swimming. Swimming? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just got that. <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, I'm kind of serious about that. I, I finally got to go back to the pool today. I've also been swimming in Evanston in the lake, but it, it, it's like meditative for me. And it really, really is just something that really, since college, has really been a, a what do you call it, a touchstone in my life, swimming. And, and the other thing is, is relationships. I mean, one of the reasons I've, I got involved with Arbor West Neighbors is because of the, the wonderful and thoughtful and bright uh, women and men that are involved in the organization. So, and also, you know, I think seeing, I, I was really proud of my daughter. I have one child, she's 33 adult, she's not a child, but um, that she and her boyfriend were really active in these protests and thoughtfully active, you know, wear their masks. Um, but she would, she would then call me and tell me all the details about the protests. So I think having, um, uh, someone in my life who, who, in addition to my husband, who, who really um, is kind of a passing, I feel like there's a legacy there. Mm -hmm. so. Do you think about your own aging at all? You're, you're a young 72, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, yes, I do. Um, I started a salon uh, on women in aging, uh, almost two years ago, I guess. Um, a friend of mine wrote a book called Women in Later Life. Um, I think you're going to meet her. Um, and she, that book inspired me. I invited her to Oak Park to speak. And there was a huge turnout. Every, a lot of women wanted to talk about women in later life. Uh, and so I, I asked her if she would do this group with me. Um, so there's eight of us. And we meet and we've read various things all about women and aging, um, everything from the physical to the, um, you know, to what we're, what we're each doing, um, 
responding to articles we read, uh, bringing, passing on things that we read that make us really angry uh, during, in, we, meet, we meet once a month. Um, so yeah, I think, and I think aging, this is, this is a passage that, this is a big passage, I think, um, for me, the 70s are a passage in a way that the 60s weren't. So yes, the answer is yes, I do think about it. Well, Susan, thank you so much for talking with us today. This has um, been a really inspiring conversation with you. And I'm, I live in Oak Park, so I look forward to um, perhaps being more involved in some of the, the things that you're doing here. Great. So thank you so much. And thank you, thank you both for doing this pos- podcast series. I think it's, I think it's just wonderful you're doing this. <laughs> Thanks. Thank Susan. you. And listeners, we want to hear from you. Please share your thoughts in our Facebook group at Women Over Seventy Aging Reimagined. Become an active participant in our community. Join us at our Zoom events. Access our weekly Wednesday podcasts. If you know a vital woman over 70 who would be a great guest, please recommend her to us at womenover70.com. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myth that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.